Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back with you another week. Special time here Thursday night, uh, which is a little different than our normal for a fantastic episode on time travel. Is it possible? This is a topic that I love talking about. A lot of different theories uh, that we are going to get into that that rabbit hole that we always jump down when we talk about uh, time travel, paradoxes, uh, supernatural activity that we experience, stargates, portals, the works. And so we're going to we're going to hit on a lot of these different themes throughout this show. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Again, I really love touching on this topic. And so I also need to say that uh, this episode of Connecting the Universe is brought to you by the Connected Universe Portal. For those listening to the podcast later or listening to the syndicated show on uh, KGRA Radio, Please, by all means, check us out, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Uh, fantastic membership site out there. This is a weekly class, interactive class that uh, we hold usually on Wednesday nights, Thursday this week. And uh, you can join us, too, for the live version of that, of course. All kinds of extras and, and different benefits like a monthly Q&A. Uh, we have the Egypt travel blog that's out there and so much more. Uh, that you can uh, sink your teeth into tons of content. So, all right. Uh, yeah, I see some are already down there in the class. Atomic Nicholas is on his break. Great to see you, Tom. So I do want to say, uh, and then there's uh, Jen LeBay with her daughter Maeve. Uh, great to see you down there, my old friend. Uh, and I, I love that your daughter is a, a part of the class too. This has been great. Uh, I do want to say real quick before we dive into everything, um, you know, I switched everything up to Thursdays for the next couple of months because of a class that I'm taking on Wednesday. But I know that was difficult for several people uh, trying to make it out tonight. And I think it's great that there's several people uh, that are in there right now in the live chat. Uh, because of the nature of the way that class is put together, um, I'm going to go ahead and switch everything back to Wednesdays uh, for these couple of months because I can just watch the recording of all that and, and get all the content that I need to out of those classes that I'm taking uh, on another day. So I know that this night Thursday was hard for some people, so we'll just go ahead and put everything back to our regularly scheduled program on Wednesday nights at 8. So uh, I know that was an uh, issue for Tom and Sarah and I think a couple of others, but great to have several of you in there right now. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into uh, what we're going to be talking about, time travel. And I, I put up a meme on the Connected Universe uh, Facebook pages and on the Instagram, and that was, if you could time travel to any one specific era of Earth's history, when would it be and why? Got a lot of uh, great answers uh, for this. So we, and one was a response from our, our friend, uh, Mark Anthony, who's known as a psychic lawyer, psychic explorer. Uh, he said the early 1990s, because I know what stocks to buy. So I'd be a billionaire today. A <laughs> uh, lot of, lot of fun with that one, Mark. Yeah. I mean, really could go back, uh, probably like 10 years and figure that out with some of those, uh, stocks from then. But early 90s, yep, you'd be a billionaire today. Uh, Anne Celine says, I want to be there in the 1870s or 1920s through 1960. Uh, yeah, you know, the the styles, the Victorian era. Um, I love the the early cars from the 1930s and all that. Those are some cool eras there for sure. 
Victoria Monday. Historically, women weren't treated too kindly, so I think I'd rather observe the medieval period that uh, than take part in it. And she brings up a good point there. So, and we're going to get into, again, some theories regarding this in that I think when it comes to time travel, I think there are actual time travelers that are out there now, and they show up in our world as observers. They don't interact uh, with the environment. They're studying something. They're learning something. They're just observing. And Victoria, for different reasons, is saying that she would rather just be an observer of that because if she went back to medieval time, the way that they treated women uh, was not very good. So she would just want to watch and observe that. But I think that does really happen. And then Sarah Yusuf asked a question, would you, would you have to create a time paradox to prove to yourself that time travel exists? So uh, she asked a question of my question, which we're actually going to touch on uh, later on in the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. And then uh, Jennifer right here in the chat, I would go back to the time of Jesus to see if all the hype is real. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Let's see what really went down, because there's so many different theories about that as well. Uh, and really any of that history uh, from back in the day, because um, we know a lot has been rewritten. Uh, we know that the victors from you know a lot of the battles are the ones that wrote the history, so they're going to write it from their perspective. Uh, so any of that ancient history would be fantastic to see. Of course, we just did a whole thing on Egypt, so when it comes to the pyramids, who built them, when did they build them, all of that, I'd love to see that. Uh, I personally couldn't pick one specific time frame because there's so much, so many different periods of time that I'm interested in that I would just kind of like want to step in and see it all. And um, yet not necessarily interact, or at least not interact too much. Uh, things to take into consideration. Uh, and, and, yeah, and it might seem a little... Uh, absurd, but you have to take into consideration if you're actually living within the environment and interacting with it. Well, you know, way back in the day, they didn't have the facilities that we have today. So, you know, indoor plumbing, our restrooms, things like that. Um, our good friend Andrea Perrin with George Lopez co-wrote a book uh, some years ago now called In a Flicker, where they used a time travel device to go back to Victoria era London and they did a really good job of describing uh, you know, the conditions back then and when they first got into or when the uh, protagonist first got into the uh, environment of downtown London uh, you know, 150 years ago and the stench, the smell. He was immediately throwing up because it was just god-awful disgusting. And you know, just, just describing some different things like uh, you know, he had to wear wool clothes and his you know, body was not wear, used to wearing that much wool. And so, you know, it was very itchy on him. It was rubbing his skin raw and things like that. We don't take those things into consideration uh, when we think about, oh, yeah, I'd love to go back and live in a specific point in time. It's like, well, there's some things that, you know, would make it a little bit difficult because we've been used to so many things for so many years. We don't even think about it. So, um, all right. Let's go ahead and get into all of this. Um, all right, where's my, here we go. So kind of taking, uh, picking up where we left off 
last time. We were talking about stargates. This is Hatshepsut's temple uh, in Egypt. And we talked about this being a, a stargate. And you have the, uh, the hieroglyphs and symbolism all over the place talking about uh, it being a stargate. Uh, the, the pyramid that was off to the side that there's only the base of left perhaps powered this thing. So then the question becomes, you know, where did they go? You know, we talked about, you know, did they go to a, another star system, another planet? Uh, another idea is they could have gone to some other point in time. Did they actually uh, use this not only just to go to another physical place, but did they, did they actually use it to, at some point in time, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, go to another point in time? Uh, there's, I, I need to kind of step back into uh, you know, my own history a little bit, you know, with the with the shadow entities, the, the at least the very first one that I experienced when I was about eight years old. Uh, in my house in in Massachusetts, and with this, um, as I've told the story over the years, there have been a couple of people that have suggested to me they're good, reputable people, uh, because of what happened. That perhaps this thing was putting me into burial pose, like out of ancient Egypt, the crook and flail. For those that are not familiar with the story, I'll go ahead and tell the the story real quick. So. I woke up in the middle of the night one night when I was about eight years old and saw this tall, dark figure standing in the corner of my bedroom. And, you know, I at first thought there was an intruder in the house. I was very scared, frightened, tried to scream. Nothing was coming out of my mouth. Uh, it ended up approaching my bed, leaned over me. I'm staring up into this black face. There's no eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. Uh, it took me by the wrists, crossed my arms across my body, and then ran off down the hall. I found my voice, found my legs, ran off screaming in my parents' bedroom. And of course, they were very uh, good, nice, kind parents. And you know, they were trying to console me, calm me down, tell me that I just had a bad dream, but I'd been awake for this whole thing. A lot of different theories have been postulated over the years as to who or what this thing actually was. Um, for, for a long time, I again, I first thought when I was that age, it was an intruder in the house. Uh, and I definitely physically felt this thing. It did cross my arms. I was awake for the whole thing. Uh, and as I learned more over the years, I deduced to me that it was an interdimensional being of some sort. Some have speculated that, like I said, perhaps it thought that I was dead for whatever strange reason and was putting me into a burial pose like out of ancient Egypt with the crook and flail like that that you see on the sarcophagi. Well, if that's true, perhaps this thing, this person, because it did look like a person, it's just everything was black, was from ancient Egypt. Perhaps it had time traveled, and I guess perhaps even physically time, uh, moved from one point on the planet to another. Or, you know, there are some that believe that everything in the earth was uh, connected. Well, I, I talk, this is a connected universe. We talk about all things being connected, but at one point, continents being closer, other continents existing, that they had uh, navigational skills and charts and maps, some very minute pieces of which have stood the test of time. Mainstream doesn't like to acknowledge it or they would just kind of you know, pan it off on the side, but there is some scant evidence that uh, ancient Egypt had influences 
around other parts of the country. What they may have been doing in Massachusetts, I, I don't know. But in any case, perhaps something from ancient Egypt did cross the threshold of time, show up in my room, and them not knowing exactly what, because I had like half half the wall in my room was wood paneling, and the other half would have been uh, wallpaper, and then you have uh, like my, my dresser there and these posters and things like that in some ways could look like some sort of strange tomb and if it's thinking that i'm there in a tomb and i'm not laid out properly perhaps it was doing me the honor of putting me into a burial pose it's an interesting idea uh, other ideas that we've seen of uh of time travel that that we see in our modern times and we've talked a little bit about this when we've touched on the alaska triangle and that is bruce gernon and this was actually a uh a story from the bermuda triangle and i, I see tom was saying that he had dropped a comment in the chat but i'm not seeing any updates to the chat so i'm not sure what's going on uh with that uh, in any case, uh, Bruce Gernon, this was from the 1970s through the Bermuda Triangle. And he got caught up in a storm which formed a funnel that he flew through. And basically, he traveled 100 miles in three minutes, ended up with the city of Miami under him at a time wherein he should not have. Uh, he should have been long from, uh, uh, from Miami before that actually happened. But yet, there he was. So this is a modern idea of a possible time travel incident through a actual tunnel is what he saw. And we touched on this, like I said, in the Alaska Triangle. I know that's a Bermuda Triangle story, but we relate some of the things with the Alaska Triangle to the Bermuda Triangle. When it comes to the Alaska Triangle, uh, we talked about uh, a similar incident with a uh, Douglas airplane. And this is like episode one of the series. Uh, Douglas Skymaster airplane from 1950 that just disappeared into nowhere. We speculate that perhaps it uh, passed through a portal and ended up in some other time and space, perhaps another point in time. And something that I, I postulate as a possible idea, and I'm going to be talking about this in my uh, forthcoming book on the Alaska Triangle, when we look at history around North America, there's the legend of the Thunderbirds. And let's just say, you know, hypothetically, that that Douglas Skymaster did disappear into a portal, never to be seen again, showed up, let's say, 500 years ago. I'm just throwing a number out there. Well, if 500 years ago the natives up there in Alaska suddenly saw a Douglas Skymaster airplane zooming overhead what are they going to relate that to it's something they've never seen they've never seen anything like that before and you think about the legends of the Thunderbirds how large they were how loud they were well they're going to relate it to some sort of bird so are the legends of the Thunderbirds coming from something like this a a massive airplane that suddenly got transported from one point in time to another. Now, of course, we don't know what would have uh, kicked off the portal when we talk about places like the Alaska Triangle or the Bermuda Triangle. We talk about the electromagnetic activity that's there that you know spawns off uh, these things like the different portals. But we don't know 
aside from the magnetism, what the catalyst is to actually make that happen. Why is it the magnetism at that specific point in time has suddenly increased or become a certain way or is resonating in a certain frequency to make this happen? Now, going back to something like Hatshepsut's temple, um, it appears that the uh, ancient Egyptians may have learned how to harness this, something with uh, their construction. Again, we see the pyramids there, uh, the, the granite blocks that are uh, within the temple. We see on some of the different inscriptions and artwork, uh, the use of things like rods and different other implements uh, that the people used at that time. All that said, that's kind of a prelude. We're going to take a step back, however, because I threw a lot of things out there. We need to take a step back and talk about different dimensions. Uh, you see a point, a line, a square, and then a cube here. These are actually representing several different dimensions and how we may uh, traverse space and time is understanding better what dimensions are. So a point, you know, just a little dot, we call this the zero dimension. Uh, we don't really have uh, you know, a name for it other than it's zero. The line, however, is the first dimension. It is just, you know, like you see there, just a line. Now, the square, that represents a flat plane. This is, these would be 2D objects. Uh, people that are familiar with like the difference between a 2D game and a 3D game, uh, you know, this is your, when, when you look at like an isometric game or um, just like maybe a basic chess or checkers game like on a computer, this is what we're talking about, just a flat plane. You could, you could see a flat plane as maybe like a piece of paper or what have you. Then, of course, you have your 3D uh, block. We are not currently living in a 3D world. What we live in is actually the fourth dimension, which is time. So any dimension that you are in, you see everything that is below that. So we see a 3D object, you know, like, okay, here's here's my mug of coffee. We see lines, we see a, a plane. And anything above what we're currently living in, we have a hard time grasping that. Uh, just for an example, uh, if you take a flat plane, um, and if you are a person or an entity on that flat plane, let's just say, you know, a, a tabletop. Now, a table would be a whole 3D object, but we'll just take the tabletop itself, a flat plane. You can see, you know, the ceiling, the sky, maybe some things around, but you don't really, aside from your world that's on that tabletop, you don't know that there is a bigger world out there with, like, maybe the whole house that it's in, or that there's cars and airplanes outside, grass and trees and animals and, and things like that. It's just, that's totally foreign to you. So when we start talking about these other dimensions, about being able to traverse space and time, we have a hard time trying to really get our minds around that. And the best we've been able to do for the fifth dimension which would be where we would want to go to to be able to 
time travel, to be able to access that other dimension, to be able to move from one point in time to another, we've come up with this idea of the Tesseract, which is basically a cube over a cube. <laughs> That's the best we've been able to do. Um, and we've seen, we've seen representations of this in our modern pop culture. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about interstellar. Uh, I've just, uh, I'll admittedly, I've just started going through the Marvel movies here with Nicole and I got introduced to their idea of the, of the Tesseract in the, uh, first Avengers movie. And I guess it, it gets deeper from there, but in that first movie, they show it as basically opening up the portal, uh, to, another dimension. Well, the Tesseract doesn't open up the portal. Uh, basically, the Tesseract is the physical representation of the fifth dimension. I think Interstellar did a fantastic job of actually uh, showing this in which they've taken one specific place, which is a little girl's bedroom, and make it a physical representation. You know, if, if you were to take that one child's bedroom and be able to access every point in time, this would be a physical representation. And they do call it a, a Tesseract in that. And in this photo here, and I know those on the podcast later can't see this, um, so join us live, connectuniverseportal.com. <laughs> um, this kind of looks like a jumbled mess. When you kind of zoom in on it a little bit, then you get, okay, here's, here's the girl's bedroom at one of those points. This other photo here is showing many of this, those different points in time. And what uh, Cooper, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, had to do was find the right point in time to be able to interact with, uh, to be able to get a message to her you know, years ago that she could use uh, in the present time. So all those points in times were represented in this Tesseract. So... That's as far as we've been able in our minds to be able to really take the idea of a fifth dimension. What it truly looks like, we don't really know. Um, you know, we have you know, a lot of our ideas either come from science fiction or they come from you know, spirituality. People who have had near-death experiences and have come back from the quote-unquote other side and they've seen you know, some other different experience, people who astral project and, uh, you know, the different reports that come back from, from them about what they've seen, uh, or, you know, people have had, uh, you know, hypnosis sessions and uh, regression therapy and the different things that they've seen. So, you know, we've kind of taken all these ideas and, and put them together to kind of visualize what that fifth dimension would be like and how we may be able to travel through time. Now, and I knew I would forget it, I want to talk a little bit about my stacked time theory and the idea, kind of like what they're showing here, in a way that you know every point in time is happening concurrently, past, present, future. So if you're and because I was going to get a stack of photos, I've done this before uh, a while back. I'll, I'll take a stack of these cards. Okay, they're actually business cards. There you go. Uh, but imagine every point in time in the place that you're sitting or like I'm sitting here now, uh, everything that has happened, will happen, and is going to happen is present there right now. But every once in a while, and we'll say that this stack of cards represents all those points, but every once in a while, 
two of those moments seem to overlap that we may see uh, maybe we see you know, what we would call a ghost or we suddenly see an image of uh, of something else and it's like okay what in the world was that and the way I kind of represent that is I you know take two of the cards out and you know you could call it like an echo uh, this is not very easy with these smaller cards and two moments just kind of for a moment touching each other uh, I think it has more to do with uh, resonance and vibration that at you know for whatever reason at some moment they happen to resonate at the same exact frequency and they touch and we get a glimpse of some other world or a person from that other world or some sort of strange object or maybe we hear something we're like what what was that you know, and it's just like a fleeting moment that we catch uh, just for a second. And, you know, as I started putting this theory together years ago and I, you know, continued to do research, I discovered that, you know, of course, I'm not the first person to think of this <laughs> and come up with this idea. Um, you know, Einstein, uh, Albert Einstein also thought of this in his ideas of the space-time continuum. And this is a... Uh, just a screen cap from a uh, PBS special on Einstein, but him having doing one of his thought experiments, and it's kind of hard to see in this, but um, basically he's he's taking a camera and he's got a couple of he's got a set of dice down there, and he rolls the dice, and uh, each of those lines, the red and the white within that uh, cube shape is basically a snot, a snapshot of dropping those dice. And so this kind of, you can kind of see it better. Uh, so basically it's kind of the same idea where he has stacked up every single moment of dropping those dice on the table. But in that stack, you can see that each moment is accessible. So him looking from out into that has access to uh, each of those, each of those moments. And this idea is also represented to a degree, a lot of people like to throw out this one whenever I talk about this subject, in the movie The Others, in that, uh, that they don't realize you know, that, that their perspective of, of who they are and that they are the ghosts and not knowing that they're the ghosts. So when we have these moments of... Uh, of seeing some other point in time uh, that you know, you may see a woman in a Victorian dress and she looks at you and sees who you are and recognizes that you're there. Well, it's what we would call a time slip. You've seen her in the past. She's looking at you in the future as if you're the ghost. So which person is actually the ghost? Neither really are. You're just each accessing a moment in time, a different moment in time very briefly because it's all happening at the same time. So great quote here from uh, Mary Marshall. I just posted this uh, earlier today for the Shadow Dimension docuseries. This is in episode six. We are starting to learn that both the past and the future influence the present. It starts to create a picture for us in that we may be experiencing ourselves. So it's pretty much exactly what I was just talking about, that some of these experiences that we are having that we are that are actually occurring around us, you know, are not necessarily like a ghost or a specter or, you know, 
an ET or something like that. It's actually just us happening at a different moment in time, whether it was the past or is the future, and we just happen to see it for a brief moment here with us. Um, some and a, a great example of a time slip. Uh, this is the Versailles time slip. And basically, uh, what happened here, and again, I didn't have all my, because the uh, I had to reboot the computer, so I don't have it up here. So basically, there are two women, um, and I had, their, I had their names here in my notes, but like I said, I had to reboot, so I don't have it all here. Uh, but basically, what happened, this was a little over 100 years ago, and they're walking through the gardens at the Palace of Versailles, and all of a sudden, there were... Uh, several people that they were witnessing there that were like something out of uh, the French Revolution. So, you know, predated them significantly. But it, was, it wasn't just like it was some sort of reenactment. Like they saw uh, one man was, uh, you know, lying there on the stairs. He had smallpox. You know, another was, you know, dressed in, you know, the, that specific era's garb painting a, a painting of Marie Antoinette. They saw a plow there uh, in the gardens and you know according to some of the caretakers they hadn't had a plow there uh, in almost a hundred years or at least sitting out they hadn't had it in almost a hundred years. So a lot of these things di didn't add up and it, it only lasted for a few minutes. So very interesting and I have a, uh, a video out there on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel about time travelers, and that's one of the story. Bruce Gernon's a part of that. We have the uh, photo in there of the uh, time-traveling hipster that looks like uh, my buddy Johnny Enoch. Uh, so that's a, that's a great video to, to reference. So one particular story that I do tell quite often that may have been a time slip. Now, I usually use this story to talk about interdimensional beings. Uh, when I talk about shadow entities, it's, you know, in my book, A Walk in the Shadows. And that was at a uh, restaurant called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And there's Jennifer, this is deep. My head's going to explode. Oh, we're, we're still getting there. <laughs> we're, we're still going. And prior to that, uh, Nicole was saying in Transformers, it's the the AllSpark. Yeah, the uh, the Tesseract from... Uh, uh, from the Avengers is like the Allspark and the Transformers. Uh, but that that's funny. Your head's going to explode. We're, we're, we're getting deeper, though, Jen. Uh, so, and, and thanks, Nicole. Nicole just posted the, uh, the Time Traveler's link here. Thank you very much for that. So Johnny V's Muskogee, Oklahoma. Now, this was a uh, haunted location that we were investigating, and we were just uh, winding down that particular investigation uh, a couple of guys are hanging out in the bar area. A couple of others are in the front restaurant area. And I decided to do a last photo sweep of the restaurant. I'm just walking through the uh, main door to the kitchen when all of a sudden I saw this just little glimpse, fleeting glimpse of a shadow dart across the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, boom, you heard it slam into this uh, flimsy little metal door that's off on the side. Here's the photo of it. Um, that really you could just tap this door with your finger and the thing would open because the the purpose of it was for uh, waiters and waitresses carrying large trays of through food to just walk through it out to the uh, out to the dining room area 
so it, it couldn't have much weight to it. it. So like I said, you could just tap the thing. It was that flimsy and it would move. But in this case, with this shadow, even though you saw it and you heard it, it did not move. And I called out to the others. I was like, hey, did you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah, 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 we heard that. So I described to them what happened. Uh, for a moment, for a brief moment, I thought they were messing with me and that they had thrown something at the door. And I asked, did you guys throw something at the door? No, you know. Cause they were off having their own conversations. I even walked through the door. I'm looking down at the ground. There's nothing there. I was like, okay, they didn't throw anything at the door. And if they had thrown something at the door, it would have moved. It was that dang flimsy. So what happened here? Well, I put together this illustration for the book, A Walk in the Shadows, to kind of depict what I think happened. You know, I think it was some sort of interdimensional being that the uh, shadow person on its plane of existence it blew right through that door. That door opened wide, and it ran off into the dining room area. Now, it may have seen me as a ghost. Maybe it saw me as a shadow. I don't know. That's what the top part of this illustration is. But on my plane of existence, because, again, I'm on a different physical plane, that door didn't move, but I heard it. And what I've represented here is that sound, because that works on a different frequency, a different wavelength, was able to traverse from one physical dimension to another, so I was able to hear it but not see it because physically it's on a different plane of existence. So I use that to depict, okay, I believe that this was some sort of interdimensional being. It could have also been a time slip, which even if it is a time slip, you're talking about two different dimensions, two different places in time that are interacting with each other. So it would still be interdimensional, but that could have been a human person in a, at another point in time. So I've left, pun intended, I le I've left the door open for, for that. Now, I do believe that there are beings that live on another dimensional plane, that, that fifth dimension that we talked about earlier with the Tesseract, that there are people that live in that dimension or beings that live in that dimension that do come and visit us. Uh, when I had a hypnosis session uh, regarding that incident when I was a, when I was a child in Massachusetts, uh, one of the things that came out of that was uh, with, the, with that shadow entity, you know, one of the questions that came up was, you know, where are you from? And they said, from another space. And the question that was asked was, you mean another dimension? And they essentially responded with, well, you would call it a dimension, but to us, it's another space. So whatever in the world that means, another space. I, I Of course, we're going to call it dimension, that sort of thing, because that's what, what we've related it to. Have a similar type of incident at the Conjuring House in uh, Harrisville, Rhode Island, uh, where we filmed uh, large parts of the Shadow Dimension last fall. And, of course, this is what the movie The, the Conjuring is based off of, even though you know, it's not anything like the true story, but one of the uh, really interesting things that happened here was the time slip that the parents witnessed in that um, there was a point in time where Carolyn and Andrea had seen another family uh, in their dining room that, you know, there were a couple of men sitting at the table. There was a woman cooking over the hearth. Other, you know, children were playing. So it was like one big massive apparition but the gentleman sitting at the table and they're dressed like 1700s they have pewter steins this sort of thing and they turned and looked at carolyn and andrea and said well would you look at that as if carolyn and andrea were the ghosts so another uh another fantastic 
time slip example. So, if time slips exist, if we're able to have access to the, uh, these other places in time through what we would call the fifth dimension, now we may not be able to build a, a tesseract uh, like they did in, in Interstellar or, or whatever, or could we? How could we possibly, with our own ingenuity, be able to access those other moments in time? You know, we in our science fiction like to use things like um, like a DeLorean, right? <laughs> or some sort of machine to be able to, you know, access those other points in time. You know, whether it's using... Um, you know, a certain technology, a certain type of energy, plutonium, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, to, to be able to generate the energy to be able to uh, go to another place in time. And, and, you know, people have speculated that to be able to do that, you would need massive, massive amounts of, of energy. And I think it still has more to do with not necessarily the amount of energy, but the type. It has more to do with the uh, the frequency that things are resonating at rather than an amount of energy. Because you, know, you think about, okay, you know, a farmhouse out in Rhode Island, I mean, the amount of energy that they have there is whatever's coming in from the power lines outside into the house. They also have an open well uh, within the basement. There's water within that well, limestone walls capped with granite. So they have some natural energy there, like we've talked about with Egypt and how they were able to uh, to create their uh, stargates and portals and, and things like that. Uh, they used you know a lot of granite in their architecture. So there's you know a little mini power plant that's down there. Uh, how measurable it is? Well, you know it's it's not like it's um, you know you're having these huge megawatts of lights you know filling up the the sky. Uh, so, but there's still a palpable energy to it, but on a smaller level. It's not these massive amounts of energy that some of these people are talking about. Or they're at Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. You know, again, you know, it's whatever energy is coming into the building that's there, and we don't know what's on the land of that particular property. So, I still believe it has more to do with personal resonance and frequency. And I think a good example of if we're able to uh, you know, really be able to harness this or, or try to understand it. I think a closer representation uh, of this type of time travel was depicted in the movie Somewhere in Time. It's based on the book uh, uh, Bid, uh, Bid Time Return by Richard Matheson. And in this, basically, Christopher Reeve's character wills himself back into time to be able to visit uh, Jane Seymour's character. Uh, and basically what he ends up doing is tricking his mind into uh, traveling back to that point. He, he, uh, he dresses himself uh, in that particular attire, the things that he puts around in the room, uh, which is at a hotel, are things that are from that era, and he just wills himself back into that point in time. May end up being a little bit more complicated than that, uh, but he's done something with his consciousness to send himself 
back there. So he's aligned his personal resonance to be in that particular point in time. Kind of switching gears here a little bit, because uh, we talked about, you know, if if these uh, things that we witness are ourselves. I did. I just wanted to include this one in here real quick. Um, these UFO sightings that we've seen, are they actually extraterrestrial or are they time machines? Now, this is the Tic Tac, uh, a clip from the Tic Tac video that, uh, well, it was captured in the early 2000s. It was just released here a few years back, and they're admitting they can't identify what this is. I look at it, and when they, they call it Tic Tac, uh, to me, it looks like a top, like a you know a, a spinning top. But you know, I guess they they think it looks like a Tic Tac candy. That aside, um, there are many people that have speculated that you know, yes, it's unidentified, but it's not extraterrestrial. It's ourselves from another point in time, and it it's uh, it's interesting how some people can get on a like specific train of thought where I mean. I'm not completely disagreeing with that. I think some of these things, of course, that we do witness are us from another point in time, whether it's the past or, or the future. That have come back here. But some people have attributed everything that we see, like every UFO sighting, uh, like Rendlesham and, and some of these others, uh, that they're actually us from the future. And you know, not just those, but like everything. They all are. I can't get on board with that. I can get on board with some of them are. Another great Mary Marshall quote from Shadow Dimension is that um, a lot of times people will get on the bandwagon with a specific idea and say, this is the answer and this is the only answer. But it's not. There are many different answers. So yeah, sure, some of these UFO sightings could be a uh, you know some sort of time machine that's come here from the future. I think others are certainly extraterrestrial. Some of them may be interdimensional. Some of them are our government testing new technology. It's a mixture of each. Which ones are which? That's that's where the issue comes in. That's that's where the problem is. We don't exactly uh, know what's what. So, and um, I guess Maeve thinks the the shadow person story is a little scary. Yeah, it was, especially for the for the age that I was at the time. It, it was scary back then. Uh, but I've, what I've learned over the uh, years, or even the one at Johnny V's, uh, that's it's a little spooky because you know it kind of darts across the room. Um, what I've learned over time is that most of them have a pretty reasonable reasonable explanation for them. Um, you know, kind of like here we're talking about time travelers or um, you know. Some of them are just human spirits, so you know a, a lot of them are just us. Some of them may be other things like ETs or, or what have you, uh, but most of them are just us, at least if, like humans, humans or human spirits or, or what have you. Um, but like these machines here, I think it's a mix. Yeah, some of them are us, present or future. Some of them are ETs. Um, you know, some of them could be interdimensional. So the question that came up earlier that I said I was going to get to later from Sarah. Would you have to create a time paradox to prove to yourself that time travel exists? So 
Now we're going to get into, you know, can you actually prove that time travel is real and it actually exists? And we have about 15 minutes to do this in. <laughs> um, creating a paradox to be able to prove that has its issues. Um, so first of all, what's a paradox? Um, we did like an entire class on this last year on just paradoxes themselves. Uh, have, again, another great video on the Hunter Red Media uh, channel about paradoxes. Uh, and there are some really interesting ones. So grandfather paradox. Uh, and so here's what we talk about or what we what we uh, mean when we talk about grandfather paradox. And this is a great example. We already talked a little bit about Back to the Future and the DeLorean. There's Marty McFly, uh, Michael J. Fox. And basically what he's done is he's interfered with his own past. So the grandfather paradox comes from the idea that a person travels back in time, kills his or her own grandfather before uh, the conception of his or her father or mother, which prevents the time traveler's existence to begin with. So you do something in your grandfather's past to prevent yourself from ever being born. Uh, in this case, it's not uh, his grandfather. Uh, Marty does it to his father. He goes back in time, interferes with, uh, accidentally interferes with his mother and father, uh, where his mother ends up starting to fall in love with him because she doesn't know it's his, her son. Um, and so it starts to prevent his own existence. And so this is the moment where he starts to actually disappear. So that's called the, uh, the the grandfather paradox. So would we have to create something like that to prove time travel exists? Um, a really outlandish idea of the grandfather paradox, and I love this movie. This is uh, Predestination with uh, Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook, where, I mean, this is like the ultimate grandfather paradox, where um, I mean, he is all of these different characters. Uh, he is... He's his, his mother, his father, his grandfather. He's, he's all of these same people, and he has to keep the loop going, essentially, or you know, if he, if he breaks the chain, then he doesn't exist, and all of the work that he's done over the years uh, will not have existed. And, um, and then uh, you know, bad things will <laughs> happen, of course, because uh, he's a... Uh, Temporal time agent is what he's called. But basically, you know, he, there he is as a baby. There he is as his mother. And there's him. I mean, the, he's talking to himself there in that photo. So anybody who hasn't uh, seen the movie, I do I do recommend it. <laughs> um, but basically, he be, also becomes his own bootstrap paradox. Now, what a bootstrap paradox is, and we're just, this is kind of just a real brief overview of paradox. I'm throwing a bunch of things out here real quick. Uh, so bootstrap paradox is basically a object that shouldn't exist. We don't know where the origin is. So this is a, another still from somewhere in time where basically at the very beginning of the movie, this old woman walks up to uh, Christopher Reeve and hands him this pocket watch and says, come back to me. So there's, there's a photo of the watch. And he's confused at first, but he ends up tracking down who the old woman was becomes enamored with uh, the woman as her younger self and decides to travel back in time. And we talked about that earlier where he wills himself back into time and he ends up giving her the pocket watch. So he has it at some point, she has it at some point, but where did it actually originate? Because he, he never like walks into a shop and buys it. She never walks into a shop and buys it. It just always exists. Uh, it no longer has an origin. And so, uh, so that's a big part of uh, 
of predestination where you know he's a, he's a grandfather paradox he's a bootstrap paradox uh we see a lot of bootstrap paradoxes in uh in the in the television show dark which is like one of my all-time uh favorite shows now after watching those three seasons it was amazing uh so the question comes back to that's just kind of explaining what you know a paradox is and some different examples of um if we were to try to create a paradox to prove it um we would have some of these different types of issues like that come up would we prevent people from being born would we have objects in our world that have no origin that are just out of place in time you know we see some you know objects around our world that we have discovered that don't make sense for um you know for the history as we've come to know you know like the you know, like the london hammer uh you know it's it's a hammer that should not it, it shouldn't be uh in that the thing dates at least 250 million years because the handle on the hammer is starting to turn into coal but here it is you know a nicely crafted hammer used by some you know some worker or craftsman however long ago it's embedded in a piece of rock because the rock is formed around it and like i said the handle's starting to turn into coal um but humans weren't supposed to have had a tool like that 250 million years ago of course we're only supposed to have been around for like 200 million years so how does that work right um you know it's bizarre you know it, it's a, it's an object that shouldn't be so does that mean there was there a time travel component to that um I, I i do believe that you know our world history is not what the mainstream has been feeding us but does it really go back that far um because when we talk about you know like the age of the pyramids or the sphinx or you know the beginning of civilization um you know a lot of the proponents for the uh redating of those particular locations you know they're talking 10 20 25 35 or 40,000 years they're not talking millions of years so how does all that work we don't know so where paradoxes could possibly be showing up to kind of prove to us that there is some sort of time travel going on and things are being changed is in what's known as the Mandela effect this is named after Nelson Mandela um this is a a recently coined term over the last several years uh, after he passed away in 2013 because many people um, and I'm one of them remember reports of him dying like back in the 80s but then all of a sudden when he did pass away in 2013 um, you know and this is supposed to be news a lot of people were like wait a minute I thought he already died like you know 20 years ago 30 years ago but no there there it was in 2013 that he had passed away so this was like the first big kind of awakening to this to this idea um some people and we'll get into a couple little quick fun pop culture things here like darth vader and luke skywalker this particular moment um you know a lot of people remember this as darth vader saying luke i am your father where the actual line is no i am your father uh, and so there's there's debate on which line it is uh, you know this one right here a lot of people remember this as mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all that's not the line it's magic mirror on the wall 
who's the fairest of them all. And there's so many different ones like that. Um, again, have a whole nother video on the Mandela effect and we show the, the differences with like the, the Oscar Mayer logos and the Fruit Loop boxes and Mr. Monopoly and just a whole slew of, uh, of different ways that the Mandela effect may be seen. Now, of course, the mainstream kind of, you know, scoffs at that and says, well, it's kind of more of a group psychosis sort of thing. And I knew really like nothing of the Mandela effect several years ago. And this actually popped up for me in a very innocent way. And it was with my mother and I, we were uh, sitting at the table at my parents' house and we started discussing this old movie that we couldn't remember the name of. And we started describing it to each other. It was this, this old movie, black and white movie from like the 1950s. And it was about these, uh, these pilots from World War II that had crashed in the desert. They were ghosts. They loved to play baseball. They didn't know that they were, that they were dead. Uh, but there was a, a rescue team or search team that came out looking for them, uh, you know, to retrieve, to retrieve them and, you know, the crash site and all that. And uh, finally, at the end, they figured out that they were ghosts and, and they passed on. Except for this one guy uh, who ended up being left there because they couldn't find his body. Well, because we couldn't figure out what the name of that movie was, I went home that night and I started looking it up and putting in, you know, the, you know those things as the description, the search terms. And I was having a really hard time trying to find it. I was like, what in the world's going on here? And so I ended up coming across these different forums where other people were describing the same thing. You know, people from, you know, I would say all over the country, but really from all over the world, because there was somebody there, there from, from Israel uh, in one of those that <laughs> remembered it, uh, you know, like my mother and I. So a lot of people were remembering the same details as my mother and I, but a lot of other people were coming across uh, or answering the question saying, no, you're, you're misremembering a... You know, and they threw out like uh, could have been like this Twilight Zone uh, episode, or it could have been an episode from this other show, and um, it's like no, it wasn't a Twilight Zone episode. I know that, and uh, but some people suggested that it could have been this movie called Soul Survivor. It was filmed in the early 1970s and starred William Shatner, and I'm like, no, no, because this this was a black and white movie. It certainly didn't have William Shatner. Uh, no, it could, it could not be this movie, but I decided to rent this movie anyway. And so uh, I, I, I made this this photo black and white because this is the way my mother and I remembered it was as a black and white movie. But sure enough, and here's the color version. In this color movie, and I'm watching it for a while, and yeah, William Shatner's in it, and I'm watching and watching and I'm like, you know, some of the stuff uh, could be because the crew, they, they start off immediately knowing that they're already ghosts. That was already different because it's like, no, they didn't know that they were ghosts at first. But they were ghosts playing baseball and they, you know, had crashed uh, this plane. So it's like that all was correct. These, these ghosts playing baseball by their crashed airplane. Okay, that's all correct. So I'm watching the movie, watching the movie. It's like, I still really don't know. But then all of a sudden, there's one line in the movie in which this uh, this young, not-so-bright uh, guy, one of the ghosts, 
you know, goes off over by the, the tents from this search and, and rescue crew. And he's listening to a ball game on the, uh, on the radio. And he comes back to talk to the guys. And the guys ask him, so how was the game? He's like, oh, yeah, the game was good. But I don't understand how they moved Brooklyn to Los Angeles. You know, thinking that they actually, you know, the Dodgers, when they moved from uh, Brooklyn to L.A. And he's saying that phrase as if thinking they moved the entire city of Brooklyn to L.A., um, but of course it was just the ball club, but I remember that, you know, being a funny line as a kid and I was like, this is that movie. Wow. This is that movie. What in the world happened here? Because I remembered it one specific way. My mother remembered it that way. All these other people that are a part of these, you know, forums and groups and what have you that I'd been looking up remembered it that way, but yet it wasn't. So, hence, the Mandela effect. Now, the question becomes, okay, if something changed um, in history, because some time traveler went back in time and changed something, what in the world got changed? I mean, this is, it's, it's a rather trivial thing, you know, this movie. But it would have pushed it out, you know, 20 more years, you know, it's essentially, it's a very, very similar story, but it would have pushed the movie out like 20 years. It would have ended up, you know, with different actors and, and things like that. So it's like it, you know, similar in so many ways, different others, but something would have happened in Hollywood that per, would have prevented the creation of that and the filming of it and everything for, for that amount of time. What was that? You know, <laughs> again, something so trivial, um, but yet, it could be that very thing that some time traveler had gone back, interacted with the world just enough to make that change. And same with some of these other different things uh, that we've seen, you know, whether it's the Star Wars thing or, um, you know, like I said, I got a whole whole video on just the Mandela effect. I've done a whole class on the Mandela effect before, but that could be uh, where we actually see uh, those changes to our world by time travelers. The problem being, uh, you know, with with Sarah's question, would we have to create a paradox like that in order to prove that time travel is actually happening and existing? The problem is that because most of the world doesn't remember it like that, um, or the, or well, I'd say most of the world doesn't remember like that. I I shouldn't say that. Um, because a lot of the world does remember like Luke, I am her father, or remembers the Oscar Mayer uh, spelling a different way or whatever. To prove that becomes very challenging because we have the current way in this version of the world. So this is kind of like we're into parallel universes and stuff like that. To be able to prove it becomes very difficult because if you go back and you try to find a black and white soul survivor, you're not going to find it. If you try to find Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father, you're not going to find it. If you try to find um, the Fruit Loop spelling or the Oscar Mayer spelling the other way, you're not going to find it. You, so you can't prove that it was that way once before. It doesn't exist. So that becomes a problem in trying to how do you then prove the paradox? So yes, you could go back in time, create a paradox, but 
the people in the current time are not going to know that it was a paradox created by a time traveler because the proof is one certain way and the old way doesn't exist anymore. So it becomes very, very difficult. Um, perhaps there's a way with what we, when we talked about the bootstrap paradoxes that that object that's out of place in time, maybe that's how we do it because we do have a lot of these different objects that are out of place in time, like the London hammer, like some of these strange microchip type objects that have been found, the strange uh, balls that have been found, um, that there's no way that they could have been carved uh, from how old they should be, um, the strange contraption with gears and all this stuff that was found in the Mediterranean, uh, again, out of place, out of time. So maybe that's how we prove it, but very, very difficult because right now mainstream just isn't gonna isn't gonna give that up so all right everybody we are at our hour mark uh time travel it's a, it's a uh an amazing an amazing concept to try to get your head around um it, it, there's a lot of material here and i i threw a bunch of things at you in a very short period of time but i hope you're able to take away a few things for this next week we will be back Wednesdays at 8 p.m. I know that's a better uh, better night, better time for, for many of you. So we'll go ahead and we'll do that. And I'll just, I, I can just watch the recording of the class later. The interactive part of it um, is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I can just watch it later. And then uh, we'll get you guys on your normal uh, day and time. So, all right, everybody, have a great night. And for those listening to the podcast later, please tune in, uh, connectuniverseportal.com. Come on out here and, uh, you know, you can you can ask your questions, you can comment, you can watch this live and be a part of the chat room down there and, uh, you know, have your head explode live <laughs> like, like some of the others had uh, this evening. So have a great night, everyone. Take care. Till next time.